0: There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And the poor man died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, He lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus at his side. And he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to, and none may cross from here, from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that, they, that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, Listen, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. Amen and amen. It's been a busy week. Friday is always a difficult day. Did anybody have a busy day today? Nobody wants to confess. It's been a busy, busy day. Did anybody actually work hard today? I'm sure you all did. Just for your own information, tomorrow night is a youth night. That means if you're 22, 21, 22? What's the the age gap? 18? 18. According to Ben, if you're over 18, you're no longer young. So from 11 to 18 tomorrow night, so please, anybody over that, don't turn up. Bouncers will be on the doors, and they will... Throw you away from there. So that's that. Sunday morning, we're meeting here at 11 to 12. We're going to have a worship uh, service, and we're going to be breaking bread together. And there will be a short side thought. Then Sunday night at 7:30, we will be finishing our mission um, here that night. So we pray that God will continue to bless us there. When I was a lad, we work where I live. Behind us was a clock factory. And this clock factory was a wee bit like Fort Knox. Not that the clocks were made of gold or anything of that sort, but for some reason, the, the design of the factory, there was just no light got into this factory. And to the backside of it, there's this wee small window, and it was boarded off. But me and a couple of my friends, we were only in our probably eight, nine years of age. Don't be judging us too harshly. We, we thought we would go, and this day, we would break into this, or break the, the bit of a wood off, to, just to have a peek in to see what is going on in this clock factory, and indeed was it even a clock factory. So we decided to, to pull this bit of timber off, and there we could see all these men bluffing mad, walking about and working. And that was the first time in our whole time we grew up beside that, that we got a glimpse into this factory. And it wasn't as big a myster- mystery as we thought it was going to be. Well, listen, tonight, I want us to take a glimpse into a window, but we're not looking into a, a factory as such. We're gonna be looking into what the Bible calls Hell. Now listen, we don't preach this as if it's were complacency or with flippancy, and I'm aware there's some young ears tonight, and I will be tender in how I say things, but it's important we understand what the Bible teaches, isn't it? If you're saved tonight, what are you saved from? Why did Christ come to die upon that cross? Why was it necessary? Because God is a righteous judge, and He, he will fail to be a righteous judge if He doesn't judge evil. And all sin will be and must be judged and punished. And, and I want to bring that out tonight. Now listen, it'll be a wee bit heavy for us. But when we get to the end, we're going to bring the good stuff out. Because listen, the gospel's good news. But have you ever noticed in life you can't have good news unless you have bad news? Isn't that right? There has to be bad news before there's good news. But there's good news, there's what God. All right, amen? So we're going to go through this and we're going to be gentle about it. The Lord Jesus spoke much about hell. He warned. He he taught, and at times he even pleaded. All the apostles pleaded. All the disciples pleaded. Every God-fearing church today should be pleading and reasoning with men and warning them what's about to come. Now, Now listen. Jesus warned the world in the same way as a father would warn his children of a cliff edge, at the end of a nearby forest. It was a warning to protect them, not to threaten them, to warn them of the unseen danger that lay over the way. You understand? And if this child fails to listen to what the father's saying, this child would run on and disregard his father's warning. That child would, without doubt, be destined to perish. It's a similar thing. God has given us this and told us this, not to threaten us. Listen, not to, not to put us into a state of fear, but to enlighten us and to warn us. Okay, so let, let us look at it like that. I come from a life where I didn't know God in my early years. I worked for a, a brethren man. If there's any brethren man, you wouldn't confess you're here tonight if you were here. If there's any brethren man, and one thing they'll tell you is this you need to be saved. You're going to hell. And it was nearly every Sunday or Monday morning I'd come in hanging, I'd come in with a sore head on the Sunday morning, Monday morning, and Kenny would tell me, your life's not right. And I want to tell you something before we proceed, I didn't appreciate it, but you want to know who I went and thanked when I got saved? Who was it? It wasn't the nice Christian that didn't tell me. It wasn't the the church that refused to tell me. It was the man that had the courage to tell me that Neil your life's not right. And Neil, if you continue on this path, you're going to hell, you see. He's the only man I thanked. Only man I thanked. And that's why I want to be honest with you tonight. And as I've said already, as we go through this, we want to be gentle. But Jesus tells us right in this story about a man who disregarded the Father's warning to prepare himself for eternity. And what I see here is this man, he closed his eyes in his bed. And he opened his eyes up in hell, according to the scripture. And the Bible tells us that, that God is not willing that any should perish. He tells us that hell was not prepared for man, but it was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, this is important. Why? Because hell is not designed for man. It's not designed for you. It wasn't created for, with you in mind. It was designed for fallen angels. And by the way, the angels who sinned never, ever got offered salvation. Never. Not one angel will you see ever got offered salvation. The angels haven't looked down and marvel at this salvation that we're speaking about. But the angels that fell from glory never got offered it. That's how precious this is that we're talking about tonight. You have been offered and we are being offered salvation and they didn't. It must be said as we consider this story, because I remember years years ago getting confused about this. Jesus is not condemning the rich person to hell. If you're here tonight and you've got loads of money, don't fret. This is not a, a, a warning to the rich people. It's certainly not promising heaven to the poor people. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. The key to understanding this parable is verse 14. on. If you can put up verse 14, this will help us see why Jesus mentions money. In verse 14 it says this, The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, Heard all this, and they scoffed at Jesus. They mocked Jesus. Who was the Pharisees? They were a Jewish sect, a religious group of people who, listen, tried to live by the law of God. They tried to make their own way to heaven. And by doing so, Jesus says, they became self-righteous. They thought they were okay in the eyes of God. What actually happened was they became hypocrites. And if you know any religious person here tonight... And if you are a religious person here tonight, I will gently say this to you. If you are relying on anything else but Christ, you're nothing but a hypocrite. Because not one man or woman can keep the law. It is impossible for us to please God. And Jesus said to to them, you you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your heart. See, we can pretend, and, and many of us did, and I did, to be holy to the world, but God's not fooled by us. And here's the truth. These Pharisees pretended to love God, but they really loved money. Don't we all? We all like a wee bit. This world honors money more than it honors anything. It's a measuring stick of the wicked. Who has the most money? Who's got the biggest house, biggest car? But Jesus says all of these things are detestable in the eyes of God. And what that means is that God is not interested in what you have tonight. He's interested in you tonight. Isn't that something to be rejoicing about? He doesn't care if you're rich or you're poor. He cares simply about you tonight. That's what Jesus is teaching these men. See, the Pharisees had a problem. They saw themselves as righteous, but they saw everyone else as a sinner. You see, here's what I understood in life. It's very, very easy to see the sin of another person, isn't it? Isn't it? You Can quite easily look to your friend, your neighbour, and say, "Boy, look at the cut of them." But you know what I always found difficult was, I found hard to see the sin in my life, even though I was a shame and disgrace to my mother. I thought it was okay. That's what sin does; it blinds us, it deceives us. We can see easily our brother's sin, and Jesus says, as we know, "Take the plank out of your own eye before you take the spike out of your brother's." We all are guilty. And Jesus takes what the Pharisees love the most. What do you think it is? Themselves, rich people. And he warns them that they too need to be saved. Because here's the thing, wealth is not a blessing from God that promises salvation. And I hope that's clear tonight as we continue on. The poor man, the rich man, the the in-between man, we all need saved. And that's the truth that must be stated. In verse 19, if you look at it, it's here we see the sinner's heart. This rich man had no thought for anyone or anybody. It's what I call the, the unholy trinity. Me, myself, and I. He lived for himself and he had no regard for God. And listen, he had no regard for his neighbours. Now, Christian, we ought to be learning from this too. Each time this man would leave his home, he would have to walk past this man, Lazarus, who was who lay at his gates sick and hungry. He was begging for a simple scrap of food. We're told that his body was so weak that sores began to appear upon it. And it's here we get to see the the true nature of the sinner's heart. Why? Because in this man we can see a bit of ourselves. He's self consumed, he's self righteous. And listen, he's become a little bit indifferent. I think in this generation we're all a wee bit indifferent. We just don't care anymore. No, it, in fact, it's easier not to care anymore. The world's went mental. It's nearly easier just to, to be indifferent. And that's the sinner's heart. And daily, every day, th- this, this self-righteous man would, would have to walk past this poor beggar, beggar and be unconcerned. Or to put it simply, he was so caught up in his own life that he was blinded to what was before him. He was blinded to the sorrowful state of his neighbor. But perhaps what's worse... This is worse. He was blinded to his own sorrowful state before God. That's what money can do to you tonight. You could be sitting here as a wealthy man, a wealthy woman, and that gives a bit of security, so I'm told. It gives a wee bit of security, but it's a false security. It's amazing how indifferent, indifferent we can be in this world. Here's a picture of the sinner's heart before we move on. It's self-consumed, it's self-righteous, it's indifferent, and it's no time for God. The sinner's heart is sick, and it's lost. But listen, the good news is that Jesus came to what? To seek out the lost and to heal the brokenhearted. So that's the sinner's heart, it's sick. Now, I want to just push in a wee bit to the sinner's destiny. Where are the sinners going to end up? The man who dies, the woman who dies in their sin. Look at Verse 22. And it's here where we find ourselves looking through a window, if you like, into eternity. This poor beggar, we're told, died. He was carried by the angels into heaven, the Abraham's bosom. And likewise, the, the rich man died. We're told he was buried. Then we read in Hades, which is the place, the holding place of, of damned souls, as, as scholars call it. Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes. And what we learn here can be somewhat disturbing. And it can be hard for some to accept. And what I see here is that in eternity, the saved and the unsaved are going to receive a new eternal body. I want you to see that. A body that is able to withstand the elements. Now the Bible teaches this. And here's the thing. The Bible teaches that all who know the Lord and are saved, at the end of the age are going to receive a new eternal body. It's a glorious hope of the church. This new body, listen, it's not going to age it's not going to get away, but deformed. It's going to be a new body. It's going to be a good body. It's not going to be prone to sickness or disease. It's not going to know sin. We can't even comprehend that. It's, it's going to be an eternal body will not perish. And Revelation 24 speaks about this new body, this new life, this new earth that is promised to all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read it to you. It says this, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. If you've ever been to a funeral that I've taken, I always say this if the man or woman saved, all's not lost. Because God says He's going to restore and He's going to make all things new for the believer. Now that's the promise of the church, the redeemed, a new body. A new eternal life, a new everything. And they're going to be satisfied there. Because the Bible says, in the presence of the Lord is what? Come on, interact with me. It'll keep us going. In the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. And in his right hand is pleasures forevermore. That's enough for me. We're not going to get bored in glory. We're going to know the fullness. And what a promise that is to the believer. And that promise can be yours tonight. If you don't know the Lord tonight, you're not saved and you have an assurance of salvation, you can have this tonight. You can have this peace and have this assurance. But listen, here's the hard bit. All who die without Christ will also be raised again. We looked at that on Wednesday night at the great white throne. And they each will receive an eternal body. Now, I want you to notice something about this new body for the lost soul. It's in verse 23. It says, Being in torments, and Hades, he lifted up his eyes. What I see here is, in hell, this man has eyes. 23, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw. Verse 24, we're told that he cried out and he asked Abraham, listen, to dip his finger in the water to cool his tongue. What this this tells me is that this lost, damned soul has eyes, it has a tongue, it has feelings, it has a body. Do you see that it's not a ghostly spirit, it's a body prepared for them. What a thought. And it's able to endure the unthinkable. I want to miss some stuff out. Now Abraham answers this man, because this man pleads for salvation. Now it's a wee bit late to plead for salvation when we get to this place, if you find yourself there. But he, he, he pleads to Abraham regardless. And I want you to listen to what Abraham says to him. He says, son, remember that in your lifetime... You receive good things. Think of that. What a rebuke to all who die without Christ. Son, remember how you lived your life? Can I say that to you tonight? Friend, remember how you lived your life. Think about that. Daughter, remember how you lived your life. And that's something that every man and woman must consider. How are we living our lives? This man had no time for God. But now an eternity is found speaking and pleading to God. And what I see is very disturbing as well. In hell, men have a memory. Son, remember. You have a memory. Son, remember. It's not oblivion, it's not a blank mind. Remember. One of the greatest torments is to, to look back on what you could have done, what you should have done, and what you shouldn't have done. That's one of the greatest torments. And I want to ask you tonight, in your own spirit, if you were to stand before Christ tonight, if you were to die tonight, and he was to say to you, child, remember that in your lifetime, what would you say? What would the answer be? What would it look like? Was it all about you? I wonder. Before I come to faith, you didn't matter. This world was here for me and nobody else. I was so selfish. I surprised myself when I look back. A complete selfish man, because that's the way of the transgressor. What would your life look like? Was it all about accumulating wealth? What good's that now? Did you live for Christ? That's the question. Or did you live for yourself? And that's what we see in the crux of this story. A man who lived for this world and he, and he gathered it all in, only to find out that he really had nothing. One man had nothing, only we found out he had everything. Isn't that the truth? And here's the thing, no true man or woman of God, righteous person, would ever walk past this man daily and see such a need and not have an urge to help him. This man was godless. This man was a sinner. He lived a sinner and he died a sinner. That's the truth about this man. And he he lived for himself. And one night he went to bed expecting to wake up, because we all do, don't we? It's a sure thing. We're going to wake up in the morning. Never, ever doubt it. We go to bed, we set the alarm, we make plans. We're so cocksure, aren't we, that we know we're going to get up in the morning. Likewise, this man went to bed cocksure. He closed his eyes on his pillow, and he opened them up in a place of torment, according to the scripture. Now lastly, we've looked at the sinner's heart. It's self-righteous, it's self-consumed. We've looked at the, the sinner's destiny, this place that is called Hell. And I want to just close tonight on a sinner's warning. This is a warning to all people that aren't saved. It's the same warning my previous employer gave to me. Every Monday morning, I stagger through them gates. It's a sinner's warning. Look at verse 26. Son, there's a great chasm separating us, and no one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over from here to you. And here's a truth that we need to understand. It's impossible for a man in heaven to enter hell. It's also impossible for a man in hell to enter heaven. And this rich man in verse 27, he understood that for now it's too late for him. And listen, he starts to turn to his family. He starts to turn to his loved ones. And he thinks, well, what about them? What about them? And listen, it's not too late for his family at this point, and it's not too late for you at this point in your life. And he says this, Father, I beg you. But interestingly enough, the King James Version says, Father, I pray. They translated that word. Father, I pray. And this being been said, listen, within hell is the biggest prayer meeting that has ever taken place. And not one prayer is ever going to be answered. Within hell, this very night, is the biggest prayer meeting that has ever, ever taken place. And yet not one prayer is going to be answered. And listen, friend, You could be the greatest sinner in this town. And if you pray to the Lord tonight and you ask him to save you, you know what, he's going to hear and he's going to save you. And there's plenty of good sinners in here that are saved to prove it to you. But you find yourself in this place of torment. There's no way that God's going to hear your prayer. And this rich man knew this to be true. And I I want you to know what he says. He says, listen, I pray that you would send Lazarus to my father's house for I have five brothers, five brothers that you may warn them lest they also come to this place of torments. And Abraham says this, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. You know what he's really saying there? And it's something that we all have a problem with. We want more proof. In other words, what he's saying is, your family have what you did have. The the prophets. The the Moses. You had that and you disregarded that. Now you're in this place. They still have that. So, so let us bring it to our interpretation. The preachers who preach that salvation is a must. The, the meetings and missions the church services. What about your Christian friends? Do you disregard them? Is that not enough evidence for you? What about your Christian co-workers or your Christian family, you see? See, God has placed enough people around you to, to tell you of your need. And not one of us will ever be found in hell without an excuse or with an excuse. There'll be no excuses when we find ourselves in this place. We have no excuse when we find ourselves rejecting God on this side of eternity. Now this rich man protests, and I'm going to finish now in a moment, just bear with me. He begins to protest in hell, and he says this, No, Father Abraham. I don't accept that. He says, No. But if one goes to them from the dead, day, they will repent. In other words, my family need more proof that God is real. And that this hell is real. And I wonder, is that you tonight? Do you just need more proof? You're not convinced. The preachers just don't do it for you. All you see is men. You don't see miracles before you. You don't see once drunkards. Once men that knew it was the land, the gutter. You don't see men that once despised God and the things of God. Now standing before you telling you about God. All you see is a man. Who's nothing better to do with his time, isn't it? It's funny. We need more proof. What about the missions you've been at over the years? What about the mission you're at tonight? What about the church services you've been to? Not enough for you. You need more proof. And that's the problem. But listen, Abraham. If you send the man from the dead to warn them, then my family will believe and prepare themselves for eternity. But Abraham, knowing the heart of man, says to him, listen, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And I wonder tonight, if one rose for the dead from the dead to come here to warn you, would you believe and prepare yourself for heaven? I wonder, would you? See, 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified and nailed to a cross. We're told that he died, that he was buried. And on the third day, what happened? God raised them from the dead. And you know what happened? Revival broke out in Jerusalem. No, it didn't. They told lies. They made up stories. To this day, some would say the disciples took and hid them and buried Jesus' body somewhere else. Do you think every one of the disciples would die bar John for a lie? Not a chance. The reason they were hung upside down and crucified and tortured and ripped in two for Jesus was they had seen their resurrected Jesus. Glory to God. Don't believe the lie. If one would rise from the dead, would you believe? And I'm going to tell you tonight, you'll not. You'll not, because that's the way of the transgressor. And we are out, you are without excuse tonight, and I want to just encourage you in these close moments. How do I know Jesus lives? He totally transformed my life. I'm looking around me tonight, and I know men and women in this room that lived as dogs, excuse the expression. And God has gloriously saved them because he's alive, and he's alive, and he's willing to change your life. But there's a liar who's deceived, and you need to see, now is the time that you can get saved tonight. I want to just say this to you. We have in this island seen many, many, many evangelists being sent out from this island right across the world. We have seen many, many people come to faith in this land. The gospel's well known. And yet, like this man, we can think we're all right in the eyes of God. But we're not all right in the eyes of God. And you have an opportunity tonight to come tonight and to accept the Lord Jesus Christ for yourself. Now, that's a big decision. It's a very big decision, and it's a difficult decision. But I want to put it to you tonight. You've heard what the Bible teaches about this place. But what if tonight you went to your bed, and you closed your eyes, and you woke up in this place? Do you understand that that is the last opportunity you will ever get? to come to faith will be this meeting. You will never get an opportunity in hell you will become a prayer warrior in hell. You will pray like you've never prayed. You most likely will pray for eternity in hell, but God will never answer your prayers. There's no way out. It's a one, what is it? You check in, but you can't check out. That's the truth about hell.